I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Hugh Mateo, and welcome along to La Liga Lowdown's Match Day 2 Recap. It looked like it might be a very low-scoring weekend, with just 11 goals across the first nine matches. But then, Barcelona's 5-2 win over Betis brought that number up, way up. So cheers, Antoine. We'll get to that match a little later on, and we're going to be hearing from experts in Granada, Vigo, Mallorca, Valencia, Barcelona, and Canada along the way. And we'll start off with our Canadian friend, he's Kian Sabani of ManagingMadrid.com. I went along to the Burnabout on Saturday to see Karim Benzema's late would-be winner cancelled out by Sergi Guardiola to make it a 1-1 draw between Real Madrid and Real Valladolid. And afterwards, I spoke to Kian about the issues that Zinedine Zidane needs to sort out. So, Kian, we had a lot of old faces, a lot of familiar faces. Zidane is back in the dugout and Real Madrid dropping points at home again like last season. I thought there was supposed to be massive change in the summer, but... We're seeing a lot of the things that we saw in 2018-19, no? Well, if you look at the lineup, you actually have to go back before 2018-19. I think that that lineup was a throwback to almost 2015. Um, That's a bit exaggerated, but having James, Isco and Bale in the same team together is not something we anticipated much of. Obviously, it had to do with obviously Modric out, Hazard out, so Zidane had to kind of force some things. But having said that, I would also kind of argue that first half... That was a that was a that was a good first half in that the sense that Real Madrid had control, the process looked good, the creation looked good, the ball retention looked good. They just needed someone like Jovic to probably put those, you know, put those chances created in the back of the net. But no, in terms of like changes that you know the revolution that we were we were expecting, obviously this wasn't that on paper, um, and and quite frankly, I don't think we really got that revolution in the transfer market. Um, because of the players that Real Madrid signed, a lot of them are for the future. Um, so I'm not sure what we'll see this year in terms of a revolution, but I would argue that the you know inserting James, Isco, and Bale together, it, it made them a little bit fun offensively and, and gave them a sense of control. Obviously, the game unfolded and everything capitulated, but um, up until that point, it was pretty good. Yeah, that's sort of what Zidane said afterwards. He said he was impressed with the first half performance, but the second half he was disappointed in. He said Real Madrid have to play for the full 90 minutes, not just 50 or 60. With Real Madrid's good first half, they were they were in control, they did well, but they just didn't seem to have any urgency in the second half. There was one point where Ramos took the ball and just ran forward trying to get something going. 
is a lack of urgency something that's a problem for Real Madrid? Because I would argue that was one of the problems last year was the sense that the goal will come and before you know it, 90 minutes are up and you've drawn with five lead. Well, I don't think it's just a lack of urgency because I think Real Madrid tried to score, but I think the other problem was the lack of recognition of they have they when they had their goal, they they lost focus. And Zidane can say they have to play the full ninety, but he has to also. It's some of it is on on him because the game essentially they lost control when he took James off and Isco off. Now James, when he came off, you know he wasn't a hundred percent. He can't risk the injury. He came out. He had a problem. Isco took the James role of the free-roaming 10, and then when Isco came off, it changed to a 4-4-2. They lost everything, their entire shape. But then they they still they, they got the goal because Benzema scored a brilliant goal. At that point, they were still so vulnerable defensively that by Italy, if we're being honest, they could have scored two, and they didn't really create much the entire game, but they could have scored two in the second half. And to me, this is like a, a recognition of like, we have to understand that we haven't won the league much in modern in the modern era because of these reasons. Like, we, we think we've won a game 1-0. We're playing against a weak team, and we just take our foot off the pedal. We start attacking, trying to throw numbers forward, trying to get a second or third. We leave ourselves exposed defensively. We switch off. To me, that was the bigger problem in this game. wasn't so much they didn't have urgency to score, but it was just um, they, they failed to recognize how to close out the game. Atletico Madrid, meanwhile, made it two 1-0 wins from their first two matches by winning at Leganes breaking the curse of Butaki after drawing there for three seasons in a row. Substitute Vitola was the man who got the winning goal with an assist from man of the moment, Joao Felix. Murata was impressive too, putting in a hard shift up front in attack. I was along at this match as well and was really impressed by Atletico Madrid. They were interesting in a tactical sense as well. I know many will look at the first two scorelines of the season and go 1-0 and 1-0, ugh, they're so boring. But they weren't. In the first game against Itafi, we saw a very attacking and defensive-minded Atleti up until Renan Lodi's red card. Then in this game, they tried a number of different approaches. They started with a back three, then in the second half they threw more men up front, and the introduction of Vitolo proved to be the difference. This looks like a fun Atletico Madrid side. Sure, we're not going to see the kind of 5-2 scorelines like we got in Barcelona versus Betis, but they're not as one nilsy as their first two scorelines suggest. Now, let's speak to Paco Pollitt, who saw Villarreal for the second week in a row and you saw another crazy Villarreal game. This time, Villarreal dominated the match against Levante and went ahead early on through Gerard Moreno. But then there were two penalties awarded to Levante in the space of five minutes. Well, three penalties, sort of. It can be filled in his party for the first. Jose Luis Morales had his spot kick saved by Andres Fernandez. VAR then ordered it to be taken again due to encroachment. Roger Marty assumed the responsibility at that point and scored. And then Roger Marty won another penalty off Andres Fernandez moments later, and Roger Marty scored again to make it a 2 1 Levante win. Paco, how did Levante manage to win that match? They should have lost by two or three goals, right? Well, I believe I should change the question and ask myself just how could Villarreal lose such a game? See, they were amazing in the first half. Not only did they score very, very soon, but they dominated the game through and through. They played well. They had many chances to score. But at the end of the day, they didn't do as well in the second half and they couldn't bounce back after seeing Levante turn the game around. What was the the feeling inside the stadium during those crazy five minutes when VAR intervened multiple times to award those two penalties and to order that retake of the first one? Well, it was an incredible sight, you know, just sheer excitement and amazement because Levante were actually t- turning around an impossible score. 
Um, there can be foul over Bardi was unintentional. He didn't see him coming. And actually, the ref didn't see it live. He needed the VAR to correctly make the call for him. And later, the controversy surrounding the, the penalty repetition, you see this summer, the rules of the game have been changed. And the ref was right. He made the right call. It had to be taken again because of Andres Fernandez placing his foot in front of the line. So that mistake made Andres to later make another one and bring down Roger after yet another uh, mistake inside the box. So you can imagine the atmosphere, Levante fans buzzing with so many exciting things happening just at once. Despite that victory, Levante looked pretty bad overall. How worried should Paco Lopez be? He actually was pretty worried after the game in the press conference and he should be very worried because the first half of his team was awful, awful, top to bottom. Levante showed the worst traits of last season and only in the second half they managed to save face a bit thanks to their attitude mainly. They need someone to work hard in the middle who is able to bring some kind of balance to the team and actually, that guy should be Serbian midfielder Nemanja Radoja, who was signed earlier this week, but who couldn't play against Villarreal because Levante couldn't include him in the official lineup due to financial fair play issues. But he should be able to play on match day three, and that will be good news, obviously, for Paco Lopez and for Levante. You spoke to fans around the Ciutat de Valencia Stadium. What do they think about Levante this season? Do they think they'll be relegated like most of us thought when we did our preview podcasts? Yeah, I actually did that before the game, a little tour around the, the stadium, asking some of the fans, and, and they were pretty optimistic, uh, speaking about being in the 10th spot or even higher, no suffering at all to avoid relegation. And I believe their naivety to be very charming <laughs> But if the team doesn't improve quickly, they will struggle this season. You know, this weekend's win was very, very, very strange. The game was very strange and the outcome was very strange. Two penalties won't come to the rescue next time they play this bad against the opposition. Yeah, top half finish for Levante might be a little bit ambitious, but Villarreal is a team that does expect to be in the top half. What about them? You've seen them two weeks in a row now. They were winning 4-2 in one game against Granada. They were winning 1-0 in this one, but they've yet to record a victory. What, what has been their problem? Well, the problem has been the same one as last season. Defending under psychological weakness when suffering a setback in the middle of a game. They play well, they have excellent strikers, they have Santi Cazorla in the midfield, but they lack the killer instinct to effectively end games quickly. Case in point, Toko Ekambi. He had five shots on target in the first half. Not a single one was a goal. If he had been a little bit more successful, the three points would have been Villarreal's. They would have gone straight to Javi Calleja's team with no Levante reaction whatsoever. But leaving the opposition alive can cost you quite a lot in top flight. And Villarreal have suffered that two games in a row already at this point this season. Of course, one of the teams Villarreal struggled against was Granada. They're one of the newly promoted sides and have a very interesting story. So after a short pause, we're going to speak to Heath Chesters, a journalist based in Granada and an expert on all matters at that club. I'm 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to our La Liga Loader Match Day 2 recap. It's time to sink our teeth into Granada CF. They've just won promotion to La Liga, returning after going down at the end of the 2016-17 season with Tony Adams, the captain, playing the violin as that ship sunk. Right now, it's happier times for Granada, even though they lost 1-0 to Sevilla on Friday night to Joan Jordan's first goal for his new club. Let's get Heath Chesters on the line now to give us a lowdown on the mood in that city. So Heath, Granada have one point, but they've played well in both matches so far. It has to be considered a positive start to the season, right? Especially considering they've had two tough fixtures to begin the campaign with. Well, I think there's always hope of getting more points, and especially at home. Um, but that said, there's no such thing as an easy game in the Liga, and especially for the smaller teams like Granada. Um, and results aside, the, the overall look still remains positive. Um, I think Granada have shown in both games so far that they're, they're going to be a very difficult opponent to beat this season, irrespective of who they're facing. One of the things that impressed me really was the, the no-surrender attitude against Villarreal, which is something that's carried over from last season in Segunda. And while it's easy to be critical of the fact they conceded four goals at La Ceramica, there's, there's still a lot to be praised that the team maintained a firm belief that they could still get something from the game even when they were 4-2 down and the game looked pretty much over as a contest. While we can laud that attitude, and that will certainly help through the, the course of the season, uh, I think a lot of teams would have buckled in similar circumstances, yet Granada didn't in that game. As for Friday's game against Sevilla, uh, I don't think anyone would argue that Granada were facing a much stronger opponent, uh, one that looks likely to me, anyway, that they'll finish under the, in, in the top four this season under Lopetegui. But um, nevertheless, Granada were resolute, resisted pretty much everything that Sevilla threw at them, 
and in the end it was one defensive lapse that decanted the game in favour of, of the visitors. They really have looked good as a team, but also some individuals have stood out. Which uh, which players have stood out the most for you so far across these first two matches? Well, I think it goes without saying from what I've seen from Roberto Soldado so far in his first two games. I think he's going to be a very important player for Granada this season. Not only because of his eye for goal, but also how he communicates with the players around him, the way he battles from the front and leads by example. And having such an experienced campaigner as Soldado is going to be really important for Granada. There's obviously others like um, Alvaro Vadio. He was excellent last season. I think with the more space and time he'll get to do his attacking moves in, in Primera Division, uh, he's going to be a key player as well. I think we maybe underestimated them when we did our preview podcast. Nobody was really high on Granada, but you know them. You really believe in this team and for a number of different reasons. You've told me before that you're really happy about the strength and depth in almost every position at Granada, but what other reasons are there to believe that this team will stay up? Well, I think that Granada have reinforced really well uh, during the summer. Uh, They've built on solid foundations. Um, What I've got to highlight is the work of the sports director behind the scenes, uh, because that's worthy of praise and and certainly deserves recognition. And I think overall, they've they've achieved a good combination of ambition and realism within the, the transfer dealings. Uh, I think as well, if you listen to any press conference given by manager Diego Martinez, the, the emphasis at Granada is never about individuals, but more the team as a group. And, and that's become the mantra for Granada side over the last 12 months or so. And, and that's certainly going to remain the same in La Liga. Um, this is a team that defends as a group, attacks as a group. They don't panic, irrespective of the score, and everybody calls the weight in this team. And my final question for you is, is just about the atmosphere at the Nuevo Los Carmenes for this game against Sevilla. A uh, Friday night in August sunset, first game back in the top flight since May of 2017, uh, at a time when there wasn't much positivity around the club. This home match must have been special, no? I'm always going to be a little bit biased about Granada having spent so, so long here, but um, for me, there's no better place to enjoy football whatever day of the week the games are played, uh, because what's not what's not to enjoy about such a wonderful city, the backdrop of the, the Sierra Nevada mountains, the iconic Alhambra, plateful, platefuls of free tapas and, and great local beer. Um, the match itself, given it was a, a regional derby between Andalusian teams, the atmosphere inside and outside in Los Carmenes was, was excellent. Uh, fans mixed together in the bars around the grounds, sang songs together and generally enjoyed themselves. But um, overall, for the part of the Granada fans, I think there's a, a much set, much greater sense of positivity and admiration for this team amongst the supporters uh, compared to the last spell in La Liga, of course. Uh, but obviously, the, the success of promotion has played a large part in that. There's a greater connection between the team and the fans now, and, and that's something that everybody involved in the club, the fans, the players, everybody's enjoying that. But obviously, let's remember, this is a modest club. Um, the fan base has matured over the last couple of years, and they're also regarded as being amongst them, the most friendly in Spain, home or away. They're a club that deserves to be in La Liga, and, and hopefully they'll get to enjoy football at this level for many years to come. Well, as it stands, Granada are out of the relegation zone, although it's early days, of course. The team that's right at the bottom right now 
is Real Betis. Following their shock home loss against Real Valladolid last weekend, Ruby took his new side to his former employer's Barcelona and did so without starting goalkeeper Joel Robles, who was suspended, and without starting centre-forward Borja Iglesias, who was injured. But Betis took a shock lead in this game through Nabil Fekir. Then, Antoine Griezmann happened. The Frenchman scored his first two goals for his new team as he led the attacking line in the absence of Messi, Dembele and Luis Suarez. We saw Carlos Perez, Jordi Alba and Arturo Vidal get their names on the scoreboard as well and it finished 5-2 as Lauren added a late and stunning consolation for Betis. It was really cool as well to see Ansu Fati come on to make his debut at just 16 years, 9 months and 25 days of age, becoming the second youngest Barcelona player ever. He was born, did you know this? He was born when Nelly and Kelly's dilemma was number one in the charts. That doesn't seem like that long ago, actually. Scary. Despite Ansu Fati's debut, there's no doubt that this was the Antoine Griezmann show. He will surely have won over many coolies with his Sunday night display, and they might even be willing to forget that documentary. Now, who wouldn't love to be a fly on the wall in the Valencia dressing room? Their summer boardroom turmoil seems to have spilled onto the pitch, as they're yet to win in La Liga this season. They followed their 1-1 home draw with Real Sofidad up, with a 1-0 defeat away at Celta Vigo. As much as Valencia were bad, Celta Vigo were good. Very good. So here's Vigo-based journalist Joseph Sexton to tell us what went on at Balaidos. Celta and Valencia took the field at Balaidos on Saturday night with um, something of a point to prove for both sides after a less than stellar opening weekend. In the end, the Galician side would prevail, and if anything, the 1-0 margin probably flattered the visitors. The host looked livelier from the very off, and they hit the front after just 15 minutes. After being played in by Iago Aspas, Denis Suarez popped up with the assist for the Uruguayan Gabriel Fernandez, who um, hit, hit his finish with a plum. The game then settled into a, a pattern with Valencia offering very little fight back. It was a quite an insipid performance from a side who already have enough trouble going on off the field. That pattern held for the second half and if anything intensified with Celta seeming first uh, to almost every ball, rarely looking any any serious danger. And they won a penalty right at the death in stoppage time as Denis was followed by Garay. With Aspas already off the field, Denis, um, the former Barca player, uh, stepped up to take the penalty himself, but he hit it to the left at a very comfortable height for Citizen, who was uh, able to save. All in all, um, the 20,000 or so fans in attendance will, will have gone home happy, and as for Valencia, well, it's back to the drawing board for them. There was also a 1-0 victory for Real Sociedad. They visited Mallorca, and the newly promoted side failed to defeat this week, bursting the bubble a little after their win in return. In round one, here's our man on the island, Alex Fitzpatrick, to tell us how this one went down. Real Sociedad became the first team to win at Somosh since December, as they ran out 1-0 winners in a tight game dominated throughout by the away side's possession. For long periods, Real Mallorca managed to hold the visitors at arm's length through sheer hard work and by covering every inch of grass, particularly the midfield three of Sevilla, Baba and Febas. But work hard they had to. The movement for Marino, Iara and Odegaard was at times too hot to handle. Any attacking play for Mallorca was largely on the counter-attack. Mallorca did manage to get into good positions throughout the game, but then at the critical moment in the final third, the quality pass or finish was lacking. With the final whistle closing in, Mallorca left-back Lumore crossed the ball from out wide, which almost caught out goalkeeper Moya. He could only watch as it cannoned off the outside of his post. 
Inches from losing it, moments later Sociedad had won it. They broke on the counter-attack as Mallorca committed plays forward for a set-piece. Odegaard feeding Porto, who slipped it back to Odegaard. One-touch control, one-touch finish from just inside the box into the top corner. Real Mallorca nil, Real Sociedad won. Next up, let's take a look at Alaves's 0-0 draw with Espanyol. Not much happened, truth be told, but Roman de Arquer, our Barcelona-based member of the La Liga Odin squad, has poured through this game to pick out the most interesting angles, so that you don't have to. Well, not much happened at Mendizorroza in the game between Alaves and Espanyol, in which the final score was 0-0. Three shots were registered on target among both teams in the whole 90 minutes plus added time, which comes to prove that there was very little excitement for the fans. So not even the highlights make it look any good. But it wouldn't be fair on the home team, not to mention that they were better overall and maybe deserved the three points slightly more than Gallegos Espanyol, who decided to completely remodel his lineup after the midweek Europa League win versus Zoria. Only four of those players started again versus Alaves, but his attack formed by Vargas, Campuzano and Melendo just didn't hit the mark, with barely any trouble for the Alaves defence. And it seems quite evident the team is already struggling with two competitions, so not to mention how they'll cope with three when the Copa del Rey starts. Corcha made his debut as a right fullback and projected himself offensively, but Diego Lopez was by far the best man, with some very important saves, especially in the 92nd minute from Duarte Boli that almost saw Alaves snatch the three points. Shortly before, Borja Sainz also tested Lopez's reaction with a powerful shot. The 18-year-old made his debut for Alaves and was a delight to watch. So this game's talking points have to be Borja's brave and bold debut, Diego Lopez still proving to be a top-class goalkeeper at 37 years of age, and Espanyol's deceiving start in this La Liga season. Two more games to tell you about and two more draws. There was another goalless affair as Eibar visited Osasuna. This was always going to be a tough game for Eibar, as Osasuna didn't lose a single match at El Sadar last season. They didn't come close to losing this match either, as Eibar failed to register a shot on target while Jimmy Avila was the main threat for the Pamplona-based side. But even he couldn't get in the score sheet this week, and the points were shared. There was also a draw at Hitafi as they drew 1-1 when hosting Athletic Club. Both the goals came really early on. Raul Garcia put the team from Bilbao ahead after six minutes before Jaime Mata equalised in the 12th tick of the club. At that point, the fans at the Coliseum must have thought they were viewing a high-scoring classic, but they weren't. That's all then from our La Liga Lowdown Match Day 2 recap. My thanks to Kean Savani, Paco Pollitt, Keith Chesters, Joseph Sexton, Alex Fitzpatrick and Roman de Arcaire for their insight. I'm Ewan McTeer and I've been your host. We'll be back next Monday to look at Match Day 3 and we'll also be back on Thursday with a midweek episode about a special rising talent of Spanish football. We hope you'll tune in then and thank you for listening today. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.